When I was a kid, I won, you might not know this about me, but when I was a kid, I won 483 championships across four sports. It was amazing. Every, every one of those championships was won with two outs, bottom of the ninth, full count. I was stepping up to the plate or the clock was running down to the final seconds of the game and I always, always, always hit the buzzer beater every single time. 483 championships and for those of you in the room who are competitive and you're trying to figure out if you won more, you didn't. I already checked the Guinness Book of Make-Believe Records, and I have it, so don't even try to count them up. Um, Here's the reality. Every day after school, I would come home, I would change my clothes, I'd go out in our backyard, and I would just, whatever season it was, baseball season, I played a baseball game. If it was soccer season, I played soccer. If it was basketball, I played basketball. And if it was football, I played football. It didn't matter. I was going to go out there and I was going to come up with a scenario that made me the hero. Right? Because that's the way you do it when you're a kid. You just think to yourself, the clock's running down. You got to take the winning shot. Who's going to take the winning shot? Of course, it's going to be me. Right? And you put the ball in your own hands, and even if you miss, you got fouled, right? Uh, or uh, it's a do over, right? And you just rewind and, and try it again until you hit it, and then, you know, it's just wonderful. You just won another championship. Now, while all of those dreams were just that, dreams of glory, they were all made up, all make-believe, here's the reality. Uh, they were based in a little bit of what is true. Because when I was a kid, I watched all of the sports that you could possibly consume on TV. I loved to watch any kind of sport. It didn't matter what it was. And I would watch the games and love those moments when you knew the clock was running down in the game and you knew that the the best players were going to have to step up and they were going to have to do something miraculous to make their team win. I remember as a kid watching the 49ers play with my dad. My dad is a San Francisco 49ers fan. Do not ask me why. I have no answers. But I remember watching them play, and of course, Joe Montana was their quarterback, and he was all right. I remember watching them play, and it didn't matter. As long as there was time left on the clock and they were within a score... It was just going to be fun to watch because he was going to take his team down the field and they were likely to score and win. When I was a high schooler, I remember watching Michael Jordan play. I remember watching in those games when the clock would be running down and you knew they were going to call timeout, they were going to huddle up on the sideline, and the only thing they were trying to figure out is how do we get the ball into Michael's hands? Because you know as the clock's running down, he's going to shoot the ball. And if he's got the ball in his hands, there's a good chance they're going to win the game, right? And so I would watch those things on TV, and then I would go out in the backyard and change out the names and put Chris Williams quarterbacking the 49ers, right? And imagine that. 
Now, here's the reality. When you and I, when we uh, in our lives think about what happens in those moments, whether a team is behind at the end or whether it's tied, it doesn't matter the sport. There's a sense of urgency and intentionality. Right In soccer, teams that are behind send all of their defenders forward at the end of the game because they want to have the very best chance to have everybody up there ready to, to push forward to try to score. Right, And if it's football, they're going into their two-minute offense. And if it's basketball, they're calling timeout to set up the perfect play in the huddle. And if it's hockey, the best sport, They're going to pull their goalie to get the extra skater on the ice. And there is nothing more exciting than those moments, whatever sport it is, there's nothing more exciting than those final moments of a game where a team is trying to catch up or pull ahead to win right at the end. You see, when time is running out, urgency and intentionality increases. And here's what I want you to know today. In our lives, time is running out. Time is running out. Now, our lives are not make-believe. And they're way more valuable and way more important than anything that happens in the wide world of sports. As important as we might think sports are, they're not as important as your life. And time in your life is running out. I don't mean to be morbid today, and I don't want you to have a sense of anxiety or fear or any of that. I just want you to know that you have less time today than you did yesterday. Right? None of us are guaranteed another single moment. And while we might push forward into the future and, and you know, pick whatever age you think people live to, right? if for some of you, you thought it was 80 and then you're past that now and you're like, I, I don't know where the end is, right? You don't. But pick out, pick whatever age you want to pick at the end, subtract your current age from it. You might think you have that much time left, but remember, you are not guaranteed another single moment on this planet. We have no idea how much time we have left, but we know this. We have one less day today than we did yesterday. And we have one less minute than we had 60 seconds ago. And we have one less breath than we had in the moment previous to this one. Time is running out. Now again, that shouldn't make us afraid, but it should increase our sense of urgency and intentionality. What will we do as stewards of this one and only life that God has entrusted to our care? What will we do to manage every single moment we have left to maximize its impact for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God, and for the honor of his name? This is the challenge that is before us. How much time is left, we don't know. But we know the clock is running out, and that requires us to manage the clock better so that we can make the most of every opportunity. I've been praying this year as I've been reading through the Psalms over and over and over again throughout 2020. I I keep coming to Psalm 90 verse 12, and I can't underline it anymore. You won't even be able to see the words in my Bible because I've underlined it so many times. I've written it in my journal so many times. Psalm 90 verse 12 is this prayer of the psalmist. Lord, teach us to number our days 
Teach us to number our days because we can go through seasons of our life where we forget that time is running out and we let moments and hours and days slip away into nothing and we're actually not maximizing our time. We're not engaging all of our life in making the best of every single moment that we have. So Lord, teach us to number our days. And then the verses that were read from Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, Coloss- or Colossians chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 5 were reminded that we're not, to live not as unwise, but as wise. And we're supposed to make the most of every single opportunity that is put before us. So today, as we continue in our stewardship series, this series we're calling The Blessed Life, I want to talk to you about how to manage the clock better. And in fact, I want to talk to you about four areas of our lives where I think we need to manage the clock more effectively with a sense of urgency and intentionality. And I want to walk through them quickly here this morning. First area is the area of self-care. That's just what you wanted to hear about when you came to church this morning, right? Self-care. But here's the reality. As stewards of this one and only life that we've been entrusted by God, you know, to manage and to care for and to steward well, we have to actually think about life in our physical bodies. Because this body is the way that we actually show up in the world and get things done for God. Our Christian faith is more than just some spiritual, mystical thing that happens in our heart. It's actually something that shows up in the way we live our lives. The way we talk, the way we bring attitudes and perceptions into different situations, the way we actually do things with our hands, the places we go with our feet. We have to actually care about life in the body because it matters. It actually matters. And over the last decade of my life, I've had this privilege of walking alongside of leaders uh, in lots of different fields. I'm not always sure how God opens opportunities for us, but sometimes he just opens doors. And if we faithfully walk through them, we look back and we think, man, look at this. So over the last decade of my life, I have been able to coach because God has just opened the door over a hundred leaders, just one-on-one personally helping them improve in their life and in their leadership. A lot of these people have been pastors and I'm, I'm so fortunate to have that opportunity, but some of them have been missionaries on the mission field. Some of them have been CEOs of organizations. Some of them have been people who work in businesses uh, in all different kinds of fields, both in the U.S. and in Canada. And it's always fun when you get to go sit with a leader in Canada because you can usually get some hockey tickets. (laughs) It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But as I've worked with these leaders, every single one of them is different because they're in a different context, a different situation, a different circumstance. They've got different challenges that are in front of them. But here's one of the things that I've been doing over the last decade. I've just been kind of taking note of the themes that run through these conversations that I have with these leaders. And, And if you just pay attention to the stuff that happens around you, if you just observe, you can learn a lot. And one of the things that I've learned across leaders, both in the church and in the marketplace, is that we have some challenges that I think not just leaders, but all of us are facing in today's culture. For example, I think most, if not all of us, are over busy. 
It's amazing to me that we take our calendars and we see it as a challenge to just get rid of all margin. It's like every nook and cranny, can we fill it with an activity, with a person to see, something to do, some project to complete, and we just stretch our calendars to the, to the breaking point. Now, some of it's meaningful, really important work, but a lot of it isn't. We just like to be busy. It's fascinating to me, 20 years ago, I would ask people, so how are you doing? And they would say things like, good, or fine. Every once in a while, someone might say, well, it's not been that good of a day, and we could have a conversation about what's made the day challenging. But today, just 20 years later, I ask people, how are you doing? You know the number one response I get? I'm busy, which isn't an answer to the question that I asked. I didn't ask what you were doing. I asked how you were doing. People who are busy, uh, they have kind of one level, but then there's people who like to one-up them. I'm really busy. And then there's the people who really want to show who they are. They're super busy. These are the answers I get when I ask people, how are you doing? I'm busy. I'm really busy. I'm super busy. We are over busy in our world today. We squeeze out all margin. We run all day long. And then finally we get home at night. We stop and we crash. And then when the alarm goes off after we snooze it 14 times, we get up the next day, jump back on the hamster wheel, and we keep going again. Over busy. And not only are we over busy, but we're sleep deprived. Did you know that most people in our world today find it hard to get six hours of sleep each night? Just in 2018, there was a survey done, and the average amount of time slept in overnight was six hours and 17 minutes. By 2019, that had decreased to five and a half hours a night. We are sleep deprived. You know why? Because we are so busy that our calendars can't hold all that we want to do. So we actually sleep less to try to fit more in. And over time, when you scrunch the sleep down and extend the busyness, you know what happens? You get overwhelmed, you get burnout, you get grumpy. Right? I've told the staff here that if you see me being really grumpy, just tell me to go get some sleep. Because that's what happens. I'm a pretty nice guy until I haven't had enough sleep. And then I get kind of grumpy, right? We are over busy and we are sleep deprived. And here's what happens as we tax our systems, right? We get busy, busy. We reduce our sleep. We have less capacity to deal with it. Stress levels go up. You know what we do? We turn to our drug of choice, comfort food, right? And we actually relieve our pain and alleviate our stress by the food that we eat, Right? They call it comfort food for a reason. It, it actually brings you some comfort. Right? And instead of eating food as fuel so that we can have what we need to go out and do what God's asked us to do in this world, we actually use food as a drug to make us feel better. And as if our comfort food isn't enough, we find ourselves turning to social media and, and our TV screens or whatever screen you watch TV on. 
It's not called TV anymore. It's just binge watching. That's what we call it. Did you know that people in our world today, the average internet user spends two to three hours each and every day on social media? Just add that up. That's over 20 hours a week. That's a part-time job. That pays you nothing. And in addition to social media, People today, adults, 18 and older, are spending over four hours a day watching TV. Now, lest you think that it's the younger people who are skewing the numbers, I just want to let you know, people 65 and older spend six and a half plus hours a day watching TV. I asked an older gentleman this week, do you think that's true? And he said, Probably. Anecdotal. It's just anecdotal research. But, but here's the reality. We are digging into social media. We are turning to our screens. Why? Because we're trying to escape the stress that we feel in our lives. Now, I tell you this today not because I want to discourage you or make you throw your phone in the trash. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have that kind of agenda. But as your pastor, it's important for me to remind you of what Scripture teaches us. That would have been a good place for an amen, by the way. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. I want to just challenge all of us to evaluate our commitments. Let's not make it a game to try to fill every moment of our calendars. Let's actually leave space and margin in our lives. Let's make sure that we're getting enough sleep day in and day out. Let's make sure that we're taking one day of rest out of every seven that we spend on this planet. Right? The principle of the Sabbath. And let's make sure that we're not using entertainment or food as a way to escape and alleviate our stress. Let's use food as fuel for our bodies so we have what we need to do what God's called us to do. And let's make sure that when we engage entertainment, we are doing it for recreation. And we're doing it to actually become better people, to have a little bit of downtime before we re-engage. But let's not just spend four or five or six hours a day just filling our minds with stuff on TV. Let's be careful. Let's take care of ourselves because we only get one life. And it will soon be passed. And only what we do for Christ will last. So let's take care of ourselves better. Secondly, we need to manage the clock better as it relates to our spiritual formation. Our spiritual formation. 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 8 says uh, this. It says, rather, than train, rather train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. What's Paul saying here? Paul's saying, take care of your body. Because there's some value in that. But you really ought to take care of your soul. 
because the ultimate value is found there, right? So some of you are saying, well, if spiritual formation is of more value than self-care, why didn't you put that first? Well, here's what I've observed, is that people who fill their calendars and deprive themselves of sleep pretty soon do not have the capacity and the discipline and the focus to give themselves to spiritual formation. While spiritual formation is of more value than taking care of yourself, if you don't take care of yourself, the first thing to go is typically the things that help us grow in our relationship with God. And I'm, I'm speaking to you today from experience. I had a season in my life uh, years and years ago where I went through burnout in ministry. I was just completely exhausted, didn't want to be involved in the church anymore, did not want to be a pastor, did not want to do what God had asked me to do because I had just spent everything that I had. I did not have any more to give. And when I went back with the help of a counselor, because they're helpful, right, Brian? With the help of a counselor, I started unpacking the journey to get there. And you know what happened? I started filling the calendar. I started sleeping less. And then I started shirking my time with the Lord. After all, God, don't you know I'm pretty busy today? And before long, there was no energy capacity to even engage with what God had given me to do. So self-care is important because it opens the gateway for us to give ourselves to what really matters, which is our spiritual formation. And listen, there are lots of practices that you could engage in that would help you grow spiritually. Silence, solitude, fasting, journaling, reflection, all of those things are really, really important. And if you want to learn more about them, you should see Pastor Jared because he has an exceptional class on spiritual disciplines. And we're going to be offering that over and over and over again here at Lakeview because we want you to know what are the practices that help you grow spiritually. But I want to talk to you just very briefly, like the next 60 seconds, about two key disciplines that every one of us need to engage in. These two disciplines, I think, are foundational because every single other discipline comes back to these two. When you're sitting alone in solitude, what are the things that you do? You engage the scriptures and you spend time in prayer. When you're fasting, why are you giving up meals? So that you can read the scriptures and spend time in prayer. When you spend time reflecting, what are you reflecting on? What does the word of God say and how is my life lining up to it? And you spend time thinking about the things that are on your heart and you're presenting them before the Lord in prayer. Scripture and prayer sit at the foundation of the Christian life. And here's what I know about evangelical Christians today. What the research tells us, most of us don't spend hardly any time, if any, in the word of God on a daily basis. And most of us don't pray. Now we pray when things go bad. Right? But generally speaking, evangelicals in North America today spend very little time reading the Bible and very little time in prayer. And we wonder, why isn't God moving more? Judgment always begins right here with the people of God. The problem's never out there. That's why at Lakeview, we are going to keep calling you to prayer and, and reading the scriptures. Because we better be a community that's shaped and formed by those two things. 
Scripture and prayer. Scripture and prayer. I want to just challenge you, reevaluate your life and just consider, do you have a Bible reading plan? If not, you let me know. I'll help you find one. Do you have a, a, a pattern of prayer in your life? If you don't have one, you just let me know. I'm happy to help you start to build one that matches who you are. And I won't make you get up at 4 a.m. to spend three hours praying. I'll let you pray even if you're a night owl. You can stay up late and pray. I just want to help you get in the word of God and be a person of prayer. Because at the end of the day, I don't know how else to be a Christian. You want to grow to be like Christ, get in the word of God and get on your knees before him and spend time in prayer. That might be oversimplifying it for some of you, but the last time I checked, it's as simple as that. Just get in the word and be a person of prayer. So I want to encourage you, let's, let's manage the clock better so we can take care of ourselves and so we can give ourselves to spiritual formation. Number three, Christian community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his great book called Life Together, uh, put it so well when he said this, let him who cannot be alone beware of community, but let him who is not in community beware of being alone. You see, we need alone time and we need time with the community and we need that in rhythm. Some of us need a lot more community because you get energy from being with people. God bless you, dear people. You extroverts, you amaze me. You just, you just love crowds and excitement and energy. And, and for you, beware. You need to learn how to be alone. Because it's when you're alone that God can work on you in a different way than he can work on you when you're with people. But then there's people like me, right? People who, when, when they said, stay at home, I was like, thank you, Lord. You are moving in our land. <laughs> and it was like, what do you do when you're at home all day? You get to read and think and journal, and not talk. It's beautiful. My daughter, who is very much like me, when they said we have to stay at home, my daughter said, this is the way life was intended to be. <laughs> Listen, we need the rhythm of alone and community. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. As the church, we must be reminded today that we cannot neglect coming together in Christian community. When I was a kid, regular church attendance was three times every week. You had to go on Sunday morning, you had to go on Sunday night, and you had to go back on Wednesday night. And if you missed one of those, you were slacking. Right? It was... Regular church attendance three times a week. And any other time the doors were open, right? Today, when George Barna goes out to conduct research to say uh, who attends church regularly, the way he defines regular church attendance now, two times a month. 
What's even more concerning is that there's some research that's come out uh, since the COVID-19 pandemic hit. And this is why I'm sharing this with you today. This is what it says. 32% of practicing Christians have stopped attending church altogether during the pandemic. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking. Oh, they're watching online. No, this research takes online in attendance uh, as, as being in attendance. One third of all practicing Christians in North America today during the COVID pandemic, starting in March, have stopped attending church. They're not watching online. They're not watching someone else's church online. They're just gone. They have taken COVID as an opportunity to peace out from the church. This is concerning. And there are lots of reasons for it. I think it speaks to some of our lack of and failure to disciple people well as a church. But it also has to do with the fact that we don't value Christian community. We think we can be Christians without the church. And you can't. You can't. So I just wanted to remind you today, and I'm preaching to the choir because you're here, right? But I just want to remind you, Christian community matters. It's important. It's not optional. It's a must. So I wanted just to read some verses from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Don't let your schedule become such that you don't have time for church. That you don't have time to be with the people of God because you actually need this. Let him who is always alone be afraid of not engaging in community. You've got to find a way to be engaged in the life of the body because the body helps you grow and you need it. I told you there are four areas I want to talk to you about, so let me move to the fourth one. Missional relationships. Every single one of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, whether you're in this room or whether you're watching online, every single one of us has a network of relationships. And some of the people in our network of relationships, our, our family, our friends, our classmates, our coworkers, uh, we have people in that network who do not know Jesus Christ. And I just want to remind you today that you need to manage the clock really, really well in your life because God put you in that person's life to reach them for himself. You have a job to do for the king. Right? He put you in the lives of people who don't know him so that you can be a minister of reconciliation in that person's life. And so you got to manage your time well, as the book of Colossians says, to walk wise towards outsiders, those who are outside of the church. Walk in wisdom. Live in such a way that you make the most of every opportunity to draw them to God. That's your job. So today, we're launching a new challenge. And we're going to focus on this really throughout the year, but uh, particularly for the next several weeks uh, this is the plus one challenge, and you should have gotten a card like this. If you did, I want you to pull it out, and if you didn't, 
I want you just to raise your hand because we want to get you one of these. So just raise your hand up high if you want one because we would like to get you some. We got a hand up right up here. Anybody else need one? If you do, just put your hand up high. We want to get you one of these. There's another one right there. So we got one right here and then one back there. We're calling this the plus one challenge. Who is your plus one? Right? It's kind of fun when you get an invitation and it says you can come plus one. Who is your plus one? Who is the person that you're going to bring with you? Because it's great for you to think about uh, how you're going to be involved in church. But who is the person you're supposed to bring with you? Who is the person that won't have an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel if you don't bring them? So on this card, there are four words right up here. And I want to just walk through these four words with you very quickly. The first word says identify. And what we want you to do is simply make a list of people in your relational network who do not know Jesus Christ. And that's what the blanks are for. And this card, you can stick it in your Bible, you can hang it on your bathroom mirror, you can put it on your desk at work, wherever you're going to see it every day. But we want you to take this pen and this card and write some names. And I actually want you to do that right now. I'm going to give you 60 seconds. I did not ask Pat to play the Jeopardy theme song. But while you're sitting here right now this morning, I want you to actually just think, who are the people in my life who don't know Jesus? And I actually want them to know Jesus. Who are those people? Now, some of you may be coming to grips with the reality in this moment. I don't think I know anybody. And if that's you, just gentle piece of advice, find some new friends. Because time is running out. And there's 42,000 people in our county who don't know Jesus. So you don't have to get rid of your current friends, but find some new ones. Because we all have to have missional relationships. So you get those names written down. That's the identify part. And once you've got those names on the card, what do you do next? You intercede. In the book of Ezekiel, we're told that God looked for, for someone among his people who would stand in the gap on behalf of the land. But then Ezekiel says, but he couldn't find anybody. So he decided to pour out his wrath. I don't want God to look at Lakeview Church and not find people who are willing to stand in the gap for people who don't know him. We got to be people who are identifying who doesn't know Jesus in my relational network and then we got to pray for those people. Intercede is just a fancy word that means we're going to get in between God and the people on our list and we're actually going to talk to God about the people on our list before we go talk to the people on our list about God. Identify and intercede. And then the next word, invest. Build your relationship with these people. Listen, we're going through a hard time right now as a nation. We're going through a hard time as a community. People are anxious. People are afraid. People are hurting and lonely and isolated. 
People thought they were free from addictions and now they find themselves right back in the middle of them because of what this year has done to us. Listen, that's all around us. Hurt, pain, brokenness, despair, discouragement, depression. It's all around us. As God's people, we have to make sure that we are sharing love and compassion and hope with the people around us. Invest in your friends. Do something nice. Serve them, care for them, love them. Identify, intercede, invest. And then I want you to invite them to church. Now, some people might look at you weird when they think you want me to go be in a big group of people and potentially get COVID. You can tell them to watch online. Hey, that's fine. But I want you to invite them. Listen, we are working very, very hard as a staff on the Advent series that we're going to be doing starting on November 29th. It's a series that we're calling Dwell, and we're talking about God's desire to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we are working hard to make sure every single one of those services is friendly to people who have never been in church before. We want them to come in and feel completely comfortable, completely welcome, completely at home. We don't want you in any way to worry about what will they experience when they get here. Listen, I can't help how weird I just naturally am, and that's just going to come through, but we're going to try really hard to cushion the blow for people, okay? You invite your friends. We're going to work really hard to present the gospel to them. You bring your plus one, and we're going to do our best to present the gospel, and all of us are going to be prayerfully trusting God to reveal himself because we want people to know him. Right? Right? We have found a God who loved us when we didn't love him. Who gave his son for us when we were still sinners. We've been redeemed. We've been changed. We've been made different. And we want everybody to experience that. So identify. Intercede. Invest. And invite. And I think if all of us are willing to accept this challenge, man, God's going to do some great things in the weeks ahead. So here's what I want you to do as we close this service. I'm going to pray for you. And what I want you to do is, uh, if you're willing to engage in this challenge, whether you've got names on your card already or not, if you're just willing to say, I'm going to fill my card, I'm going to pray for these people every day. I'm going to invest in them over the next several weeks. I'm going to look for an opportunity to invite them to church. If you're willing to engage in that challenge, all I want you to do is just stand right where you're at, and then I'm going to pray for you. So don't hesitate. If you're willing to accept the challenge, stand. If you're not, just stay seated. It's fine. But for those of you who say, yes, I want to do this, I just want you to stand right where you're at. Lord, you see us standing today. God, we, we recognize right off the bat that we cannot be responsible for the results. We've never been able to be responsible for the results. God, we don't save anybody. We don't change anybody's life. You and you alone do that. But God, we want you to know that we're going to be faithful to plant the seeds and to water and we are going to pray, pray, pray for you to cause the growth. 
Lord, we think about our friends. Some of us have names and faces that have been popping into our mind over the last few minutes. We pray for these people that their hearts would be open, that your word would be plain, that they would respond to you in the days and weeks and months ahead, that their lives would be changed in the way that our lives have been changed by you. So God, help us to manage the clock well so that we can engage in missional relationships. And God, for all of us, I pray that you'll help us to take care of ourselves, to engage in spiritual formation practices, to find ourselves rooted and grounded in Christian community, and then God, going out into this world to to meet up with people who are far from you so that we can be faithful in the missional relationships that you've entrusted to our care. God, teach us to number our days. Don't let us live as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every single opportunity that you give to us. And may it all be for your glory and your honor, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.